We're in the third week of our series that we've called uh, The Goat. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with that phrase, The Goat? Raise your hand if you're familiar with that, right? The greatest of all time. Uh, and it's, we're talking about Jesus. And uh, I don't know that you have to be religious uh, to come to the conclusion that Jesus might be the greatest human being of all time. I mean, time itself is divided between the things that happened before him and the things that happened after him. Um, the Jewish Bible in Genesis chapter 3 said that someday there would be a baby born to a woman only uh, in whose death would conquer the authority of evil in the world. God reaffirmed that promise uh, to Abraham and, and then uh, said, through you there will be a descendant who will, like, will rescue mankind from his sins. Uh, and I don't need to get into all of that except to say that all of the Hebrew Bible points to who the Messiah is going to be and all of the Greek Bible says this is who the Messiah actually is. So from the very first two people that ever showed up in human history, Adam and, and the Eve, uh, Jesus was, was pointed to. And here we are now on this side of history of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we're still, we're still pointing to him. Now there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we're never going to be able to do. Uh, like, you know, walk on water. You're not going to do that. If you did, that wasn't... That was a dream that didn't really happen, and I don't know what you were smoking, but dear Lord in heaven, share. No, I'm sorry, I shouldn't. That's not a, that's an inappropriate joke. Um, uh, you know, turning water into wine, things like that, like like stuff I'm I'm never going to be able to do. But there's a whole lot of things that he did that that I can do. Uh, now, when you become a devoted follower of Jesus, when you turn from your sin, when you call on God to forgive you, accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off your debt before God. And you commit to begin following Jesus. God sets you on a new path, which is really cool. And some of you guys are looking for that new path. And I'm telling you, you'll find that when you begin following Jesus. But walking that path takes a certain amount of discipline uh, that, that sometimes is difficult. And so all of us who are Christians sometimes struggle in living a Christ-like life. And Hebrews chapter 11 talks about that. And says that the secret to, to following this path that God has you on long term, he says one is to set aside uh, every, every weight that, that slows you down, right? And to not be distracted by the things that you know aren't in the direction that God's called you to run. And he said, and, and the way that we'll be able to do that is by keeping our eyes on, on Jesus, the, the one who initiates and then completes or perfects faith in us. And so that's why we talk a lot about Jesus, is he's the one that we're supposed to keep our eyes on, because the more we keep our eyes on Jesus and the life that he lived, the more we know how our lives are supposed to be lived, which is the reason why uh, biblical Christians reject celebrity culture. Uh, we don't want to make heroes out of people, uh, at, or even, even pastors. Like, we, we shouldn't become fanboys of, of churches, uh, and, and don't make celebrities out of preachers. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have your favorite preacher, right? There's a, like, especially here in New England, there's a whole lot of Joel Osteen fans, nothing wrong with, like, like having a favorite preacher that, listen, I'm just saying, we don't become followers of Joel. We don't become followers of Andy Stanley. We don't become followers of Stephen Furtick or, I don't know, insert favorite Bishop Jakes. We don't become followers of, like, Eric Mace, like, Mason, like, I don't, it doesn't, like, we're followers of, of Jesus, and that's what we've been talking about. Uh, two weeks ago, we said that Jesus, the, the one thing that identified him is that he said that he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the will of the Father who sent him. And the more he uh, obeyed the word of God, the more he knew the will of God. We said, if you want to know the will of God for your life, then you need to get familiar with the word of God and actually start doing what the Bible says. When you start, just like any kid, if a kid wants to know what the mom and dad want them to do, they need to just start listening to what mom and dad say. 
and then start doing what they've said, right? And then they'll get what the parents want for them. And the exact same thing is true in your relationship with God. And then last week we talked about being outwardly focused. That the church doesn't exist to provide religious goods and services for religious people. Uh, we're not like the Walmart for Christianity. That's not what we're here for. Uh, we're like a rescue station, right? Like a, uh, yeah, that, that'd be the best metaphor probably. Uh, a, a rescue station, a, uh, like an outpost where people who are broken and hurting can find their way back to God. And those of us who've found God then be growing in our relationship with God. And then the closer you get to Jesus, uh, Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of other men. Like the closer you get to Jesus, the more passionate you are on those who are farthest from him. And truthfully, the more compassionate and kind you are to those who are most distant or disconnected from God. And today we're talking about the generosity of Jesus. Uh, and, and I'm going to give you a pro tip here. Uh, there's a difference between being a decent human being and being a generous human being. They're not the exact same thing. Uh, some of us will, and I, I think we give ourselves too much slack on this one. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll drop our change uh, in the red bucket with the, 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 the uh, jingle bell guy coming out of Walmart and like pat ourselves on the back. Aren't we really generous? We just, gave, we just gave the Salvation Army 73 cents. I'm a pretty generous person, right? Or uh, you helped your, your sister-in-law, uh, you know, catch up on her hospital bills. And you're like, I'm, I'm a pretty generous person uh, because I'm helping out my family who I'm actually responsible for. Okay, you're just a decent human being. Like, you're supposed to take care of your family. Like, that doesn't, you don't get any extra credit for being a good brother or a good sister. Everybody here should be a good brother and a good sister, whether you're religious or not. You need to be a decent person. Sometimes I'll get off of 93 going north uh, at the Chinatown to exit, and then I turn right at that second red light, and then I dead end, and then you turn left, and then that's how you get to South Station. How many of you guys were following that mentally in your head? You know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, when you turn right at that second light, right here is where all the really teeny tiny Asian dudes play basketball. You guys ever seen that? You ever see like a whole, like, like, like 30, like super short 60 plus year olds playing basketball? It's not a pretty thing. But you can watch that anytime you want on that corner. When you turn right, you go down to, I think it's the first red light, maybe the second red light. There's always a dude there asking for money. You guys know that, you guys know that guy? Like that is like the number one, like if you're like, I need to find a homeless dude, I can tell you the intersection to go to. Right? You roll down your window, you give the guy a fiver. That's not being generous. That's being a decent human being. You show up at a church service. They pass the plate. You don't want to look bad for everybody, so you pull out a fiver, drop that in the church service. Man, I'm a pretty generous person. All right, you're just a decent human being. Like there's a, there's a difference between decent and being radically generous. Not everybody is radically generous. Hopefully everybody in here is decent, though. A really good example of this uh, a few years back. I say a few years back. Because I don't want you to know how far back it was. Like 2003, I was, uh, I was like in 2003, some of you guys are like, man, that was a long time ago. I was still in my 30s in 2003. And I, I had a car accident in my mother-in-law's Corvette. Yeah, she, some of you guys gasped because you have a mother-in-law like mine. Um, but I fl flew down to Florida to speak at a, a, a Christian youth camp. And uh, my mother-in-law said, oh, don't rent a car. You could just borrow ours. Well, they have a church van and they have a, you know, her vet. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get stuck with this crappy church van because church vans are notoriously junk. But they, she let me borrow her Corvette. I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then uh, this youth camp was in the middle of this, like, this orange grove, like orange groves for days. Now those orange groves are 
Davenport. So if you've ever been to Disney and you rented a house instead of staying in one of the resorts, you stayed in what used to be an orange grove uh, in that house. Uh, so I'm driving through that. It's a long straight road with a, a couple of turns. And I'm in my mother-in-law's Corvette, and I uh, pulled the top down, and uh, I was flying. And it was like it had those gradual hills. How many of you guys have ever been on a country road that was long and straight, and it just did one of these numbers? Anybody ever had the privilege of driving fast on one of those? Okay. So when you come over the hill, you kind of like float down. That's how it feels, right? And then it, that's the way. And, but I'd have to keep slowing down because of the church buses and stuff like that. So all week long, I'm just like, I, I can't wait till the end of camp. Uh, Right, and it had nothing to do with like these kids are going to go back, change, you know, right? They're on fire for God. It was, I can't wait to open it up in my mother in law's Corvette on this road. And uh, so I wait until everybody's gone, wait like a little bit longer to make sure I wasn't going to like catch up to a church bus and, and, then, and then have to get stuck behind them. And then, uh, and then I open it up. I, I pass a, a blue Camry. There's an old lady in that car. And I'm like, ha ha, sucker, right? Like just right around her. And then, uh, then there's like a, work, a white work truck. Some construction guys, like road work, uh, road construction. I, I pass those guys, and I'm like, beep, beep, like this, and like really fast. And then, um, how many of you guys remember Nextel phones? Anybody remember Nextel? I was like, beep, beep, hey, how you doing? Remember that? So I was Nextel beep, beeping. My buddy, uh, Scott Anderson in California, said, beep, beep, what are you doing? And he's like, uh, beep, beep, I'm uh, with some missionaries in Disneyland. He lives in Southern California. And he goes, what are you doing? And I said, beep, beep, 102 is what I was doing. True statement. I remember that. And then it said, slow down, 25 mile an hour corner. And at 100 miles an hour, that's like a right turn. That's how that feels. And I'm like, 25 miles an hour, I can, I can take that at 102. That will be all right. And then I, uh, some of you guys, your parents and you have minors with you today. And you're like, don't listen to preacher. He's a bad example. <laughs> and your parents are right. Uh, and I, I hit that corner. Believe it or not, I made it through the corner. I was on one hand. With, I had to throw the phone on the ground to come out of that corner, but then I overcorrect. I didn't like start opening it back up in time. I'm not a race car driver. I'm a preacher. Shouldn't be driving as fast. Uh, and I started whipping. Have you guys ever like been in a go kart where it went like this and then it went like that? Has anybody ever done that in a go kart? Anybody raise your hand if you've done that? Okay, four of us. All right, jerks. I'm doing that in the Corvette at 100 miles an hour, and then it starts going like this. And I'm like trying to overcorrect it. And then all of a sudden I get like, I don't know, like some, look like it. <laughs> if you had just like a dash cam of me, it looked like I was having some kind of massive seizure. <laughs> and then I hit grass, started sliding sideways, hit a tree, spun around, flipped a few times, hit three different trees, landed upside down in a convertible. And um, I died. <laughs> so pray for my wife and my kids raised without a father. Um, Anyway, I um, walk back up to the road, and then the, uh, the, you know, I'm bleeding, and the uh, only broken bone I had was a collarbone, and that was from the seat belt, because apparently this bone can't stop a 200-pound, I'm being generous, 230-pound man going from 100 miles an hour to zero miles an hour in just three trees distance. So that, that bone broke. So I walk up to the highway, my arm is hanging, and I'm just bleeding everywhere, and the white truck sees me. Right, so they, they pull over, they call 911, and then they offer me water out of the back of the truck, and, and they sit with me until the ambulance gets there. And all of those guys, completely decent, making sure that I'm, I'm, an, I'm okay. Uh, but before the ambulance got there, the old lady in the blue Camry. 
pulled over, walked and spit in my face, got back in the car and left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. She broke my other collarbone. She didn't do that either. Uh, but she stayed with me. The ambulance came. I wasn't, uh, this is back when, right after Ryan was born. And uh, so, it, as the case is in a lot of people's lives, uh, we, we had really, really bad insurance. And, uh, and I didn't want to pay the $500 copay for the ambulance because that was how much money I got paid to preach at camp this week. So that was like, what the heck? So I, I had to sign a waiver to not take the ambulance, which was stupid because by the time I got to the hospital, I had to wait three hours to be seen. And they said that if I had come in on the ambulance, they would have seen me right away. So always take the ambulance. That's what you learned from church today. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Just kidding. Uh, but the guys in the white truck left. And then the lady in the blue car asked what I was going to do. So I'm just going to wait for my mother-in-law. Uh, and then she'll kill me since her car didn't. And uh, she said, no, that's crazy. I'll drive you to the highway and we'll find a place. And so she stayed with me. Uh, and then the, you know, all the adrenaline's leaving my body. She pulled over a couple of times so I could throw up outside of her car, which is probably just so I wouldn't throw up inside of her car. And then she took me to a McDonald's halfway towards my mother-in-law's house uh, towards Tampa. And then we went to McDonald's where she bought me a Sprite and, and, uh, just, and crackers and just sat with me for like an hour until my mother-in-law got there. Like it, it's almost like the good submit. Like, like both, like the guys, I've, no shade on the guys in the white truck. They did what any decent person would do. But what made what the lady did radically generous is she did what nobody had the right to expect her to do. Does that make sense? That's what God's called us to. It's not doing what any decent person should do. It's doing so much more than what anybody would ever have the right to ask of you. That's radical generosity. We're in John chapter 2 today, and there's this story in the life of Jesus where he's imposed on. And the person that imposes on him doesn't have the right for this. And what they're asking him to do is not something that anybody else would ever be asked to do. And it doesn't help him with anything he's got to get done. It, truthfully, it's an interruption to his schedule and his agenda. doesn't fit in with where he's going or what he's doing. And he's got the option. Do I allow myself to be interrupted for this or, or, or don't I? And, and truthfully, most of the opportunities that you and I are going to have to be radically generous is going to be in two different areas. It's going to be either with our time or with our money. So those are the two different areas that we're looking at today, being radically generous with our time and being radically generous with our money. Now, the radical generosity piece for us, my wife and I, has not been as much of a struggle because we were both raised in Christian families, and I was taught that the first 10% belonged to God since I was like got my first mowing job at 13 right? I got 10 bucks. My dad said, how much of this belongs to God? It's a dollar. Like I was, my dad changed the $10 bill into 10 ones, and he said, how much of this belongs to God? And I'm like, five? And he's like, no. And I'm like, six? And he's like, no. And I'm like, crap, seven of them? And he goes, no. And he goes, one. I was like, only one? Ha ha Right? Like as a 13-year-old, the fact that God could have had all 10 ones, but he only wanted one one, I was like, that's a smoking deal. So that's always been a part of my life and my wife's too. But that's not radical generosity. 
that's just decent Christianity, right? Like radical generosity is when we get to the level that God's asked and then we just go, what more? Like what? Like that God didn't even ask for, right? Like that's for that. So that's a part of, but the, this, the, the time piece is the one that I, I struggle with. I, I got ADD and I've got things, I got TikTok to watch. I got things to do. You know what I mean? And you're wanting to like interrupt me and, and like, like for your agenda. And like I'm thinking this is, doesn't really help me with anything. It's a, it's a distraction and a waste of my, like I, 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 I'm going to be honest. I'm preparing for today's talk in the first half is, is, was very convicting. Because I don't make room uh, for people that I'm not already like in relationship with very often. And that's something that. That I, I, that's, that's something that keeps me from radically generous. Uh, John chapter 20. Uh, here's the story. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Uh, how many of you guys have ever heard of Cana before? Uh, the wedding in Cana? All right. How many of you guys have ever heard of pre-Cana? Pre-Cana? It's all, all of us Catholics, right, in the room. Uh, Pre-Cana is the marriage counseling classes you have to take if you want to be married in a Catholic church. Uh, it's a really clever name, in my opinion, to call the pre-marriage counseling classes, pre-Cana, pre-wedding. The only wedding that we know, the only wedding that's, Jesus probably went to other weddings, but the wedding that's in the Bible that Jesus went to was in Cana. So this right here, John chapter 2, is the reason why uh, the pre-Cana classes are called pre-Cana. Somebody's like, okay, that's interesting. All right, keep going. Uh, verse 2, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, which had been horribly embarrassing. In fact, we have some uh, extra biblical evidence uh, that there is a lawsuit, actually, where the bride of the family sued the groom's family because they didn't provide for them. Uh, for, so when they would have like a seven-day wedding feast. So you thought your seven-hour wedding celebration was long? Have you ever been to one that was long like that? Uh, back then there were seven days. But the groom's family was responsible to put you up, to feed you, and to keep you well watered um, for those seven days. And so the guy runs out of wine uh, during the middle of those seven days. It's like, like he's put his family at risk. There, there have been in their day like, people sued over that. Like, that's a, that's a really big deal. It's horribly embarrassing, humiliating. And if they were friends of the grooms, you're kind of like, oh, shoot. Like, what are you, you going to do, bro? Like, this is a really big problem. Why weren't you more prepared? And that's the situation that this guy is in. So the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him. Now, listen, she didn't ask him anything. She just walks up to Jesus and goes, um, hey, uh, they have no more wine. That's all she does. That's like my mom going, hey. Uh, the trash needs to be taken out. <laughs> or Billy Jane going, hey, you left your dirty dishes uh, on the, on the, uh, on the uh, oh, crud, what's that table in front of the couch? Coffee. coffee table, thank you. You left your, uh, your, we don't drink coffee on it, we just eat dinner at it while we watch uh, Wheel of Fortune. Anybody else got that tradition for, for dinners every night? Yes, what's up, Pat and Vanna? Uh, they had no idea they'd be mentioned in a church somewhere uh, today. Anyway, um, you know, but when Billy Jane says, hey, uh, you left your, your, your dishes on the coffee table, or, uh, hey, the grass needs to be mowed, uh, right? So Mary comes to Jesus and goes, hey, they, uh, they, they have no more wine. And Jesus responded in a way that I would never respond to my southern mama, or that chick would have knocked me into next year. Because here's what Jesus says in verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem. <laughs> 
Oh, man, can you imagine? Wow. My mom going, hey, um, hey, Sean, you know, I'm 15, 16 years old. Uh, trash needs to be taken out. Hey, dear woman, that's not my problem. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. That's just funny right there, right? Hey, uh, you didn't do your chores. Uh, that's not my problem. Hey, listen, if you're a kid, why don't you try that today? I don't have any funerals to do this week. Let's add one. Right? Holy cow. That would be bad. Dear woman, that's not our problem. And then Jesus says, my time has not come. Now, here's what you need to know. There's a cultural difference here. When we read what Jesus said, we interpret that as being incredibly rude and dismissive. Uh, but he wasn't being rude. He was being very polite, but he was being very formal, and he was not being very familiar. He was intentionally distancing himself from her as her son. Because now his ministry had started. He was not about his family's business. Now he's about his father's business. It's kind of like when he was 12, he gets... The family goes to, you, if you were raised in church, you're familiar with the story of Jesus uh, being left in Jerusalem when the family had come down for Passover, and they would travel in caravans to protect themselves from bandits, robbers, and thieves. Uh, and there's a, if you had a large family, you could go a whole day or two days and not actually see your parents, and the parents would have been okay with that because they would have expected you to be hanging out with the cousins, right? But when they bed down for the night, set up their tents or whatever they're doing to, to sleep, they go looking for Jesus, who was only 12 at the time, and they can't find him. So Mary and Joseph freak out, and the next morning they go back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus sitting in the temple questioning the scribes and the Pharisees, who were amazed at how much grasp he had on the scriptures that he had inspired, right? And uh, then they said, Mary goes, what are you doing? Don't you know what you've done to your father and I? We've been terrified, right? And he said, uh, right? He goes, um, I've been about my father's business is what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing, right? And she doesn't respond to that. She's like, oh, okay. And he's kind of done that again. Dear woman, ma'am is what that meant. Ma'am, um, that's not what I came here for. My time has not yet come. I'm now about my father's business, which is to seek and to save those who are lost. And everything I'm going to be doing from this day over the next three to three and a half years is going to be pointing to my death, burial, and resurrection, which was talked about in Genesis chapter 3, which is on page 2 of the Torah, right? Like, that's, that's my business. And what you're asking for does not move the ball down that field. Like, this doesn't... Now, he ends up doing it. And from this, if I can take a sidebar for just a minute, from this comes the doctrine... That Jesus can't refuse his mother. From that doctrine comes the doctrine of praying to Mary. Nobody in the Bible ever prayed to anybody but God, just so everybody here knows that. You won't find a single person in any page of the Bible who's a follower of God praying to anybody but God. But since the doctrine exists that Jesus can't refuse his mother... Jesus could refuse me, so if I can pray to Mary and get Mary to ask Jesus, he got to do what I say. I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, it's just a way to manipulate God is all that is. 
If I could ask God, but he would say no. But if I could ask Mary and Mary could ask God, and he has to say yes, so now I'm doing all my prayers to her, all I'm doing is trying to manipulate God. I think that'd be like your dad, you go, I'm not going to ask my dad for 20. I'm going to ask my mom to ask dad for 20. Because dad won't say no to mom, and all you're doing is manipulating dad. Are you with me? And if dad finds out you're doing that, does dad give you the 20? No. So you think Jesus is like, oh, you tricked me. I didn't know you asked me. But that's where this comes from. The idea that, that Mary gets anything she wants from Jesus. Therefore, we should start praying to Mary. So, and a lot of us were taught that in, in Catholic churches and, and some Protestant churches. So what I wanted to do real quick is show you a story that happened after this with Jesus and his mother. And that's in Matthew chapter 12. Verse 46 says, Jesus was speaking to the crowd. His mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. His mother and his brothers. There's also a doctrine that says that Mary was a perpetual virgin. So how did Jesus have brothers then? Right? Uh, there's another passage of scripture that actually gives us the names of five of Jesus' brothers. So we know that he had at least five brothers. And then it also said that Jesus had sisters, plural, which means he had at least two sisters. And Mary was a virgin when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus. So Jesus would have been the oldest of at least eight kids. But she would have been intimate with Joseph at least seven, seven times. And this verse is proof because Jesus had brothers. They were half-brothers. Joseph would have been his stepdad. So in a weird way, Jesus was raised in a blended family. But back at the verse, uh, his brothers stood outside, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Verse 47, so someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to talk to you. So if Jesus can't refuse Mary, what does he need to do? He needs to do what? Go outside. Because that's where his mom is. And she said, somebody go in there and tell Jesus I want to talk to him. So when somebody went in there and told Jesus, here's what he did. Verse 48, Jesus asked, who's my mother? And who are my brothers? Then he pointed to the disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. And then kept on teaching. He did not do what she said. Because Jesus is not under her authority. He's about his father's business. Are you with me? And the idea that we would pray to anybody but God is a contradiction to the second commandment. Now the first time the Ten Commandments show up is in Exodus chapter 20. So I'm going to invite your attention to Exodus chapter 20. The first commandment is that there, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is in verse 4 where it says, You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of an image. Don't make a sculpture. Don't make a painting. Don't make, don't make a, a, like a totem. Like don't a, a charm. Don't, don't make an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. And you must not bow down to them or worship them. And some of us have been raised in churches that had statues that when we came over to them, we bowed and we lit candles and we, we prayed to them, not even knowing that we were bowing down and worshiping a statue in violation of the second commandment. So this is why we don't have, no, by the way, there's nothing wrong with religious, is it 
iconography, iconography. We don't have a lot of religious icons because we have a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with them, by the way. Like if you have a cross in your house, you don't need to take your cross down. What you need to not do is every time you walk by your cross, bow to it or cross yourself to a piece of wood. It's a stick. Are you with me? Now, if that cross reminds you of the sacrifice that Jesus made as a reminder to living your life as a living sacrifice, then that's a great reminder. But don't bow down to it. Don't pray to it. Don't cross yourself in front of it. You see what I'm saying? We don't worship pieces of wood. Is this? I don't mean to be offensive, but all of this comes from the Cana story. He's like, well, he must not be able to refuse his mom. Therefore, we should be able to pray to her. Therefore, she must be somehow over him. Therefore, she must have been born without sin, without a sin nature, immaculately conceived. But then that means that Mary would have been virgin born because Romans chapter 5 says everybody who has a human father was born with a sin nature. And we know that that's unbiblical also. Oh, she must have also played a part in redemption because the Bible said that she grieved when Jesus was dying on the cross. Yes, so did all of the other Marys grieve at when Jesus was on the cross and John, the, the, the disciple John. So from that one verse that Mary grieved with John at the cross, they say that, that she played a part, in, like her grief played a part in the redemption or the salvation of mankind. But how was her grief like played a part and not John's because John is mentioned there with it. Are you with me? And then the fact that she is, not the fact, the fact that it's taught that she ascended into heaven. Like they've deified Mary in contradiction to the second commandment. We've made an idol out of a person. Was Mary a good person? Absolutely. The Bible said that she was righteous. There's a whole lot of people in the Bible that were righteous that God used for different things. That's just the way that God used her. And Jesus did not have to submit to his mother he had to submit to the Father. So what is the point of Cana? It's this. Number one, we become generous when we learn to see interruptions as opportunities. Jesus said this doesn't have anything to do with, like, this wedding is on my calendar, but this miracle is not a part of my agenda. Did he have the authority and the power to do something about this? Yes. Did it move the ball forward, or was it a distraction? It was a distraction, but it was an opportunity to meet a need for another person that maybe Mary was close to the groom's family, even if Jesus wasn't. So it was an opportunity for him to do good, even if it didn't do any good for him. And that's why he did it. He allowed the interruption to become a part of the agenda. That's what Jesus did. Verse 5, John chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She doesn't argue. She just goes, well, if he tells you to do something, just do that. I'm going to go back to the party now. Exit scene. Uh, verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jugs used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Yeah, those were standing there. But so were also the pitchers that they were using for the wine. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus single, singles out the jars that were used... To wash the outside for Jewish purification. Because over the course of time, mikvah was given to the Jews, the outward purification as a symbol of our inward purification. But over the centuries, they became obsessed with just cleanliness on the outside, while the inside, they allowed to become completely corrupt. And Jesus preached about this several times. You might remember Jesus preaching about on the outside, you are like beautiful mahogany 
caskets, but on the inside you're full of rottenness and dead men's bones. Then there's another sermon where Jesus preached where he said, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. He said, clean the inside of the cup first, and then the outside won't matter, right? So he was constant. So Jesus takes their obsession with making everything about their outsides of their lives looking perfect, and he used that to do something on the inside of them, is what he does. So he, he found a way in which this distraction could become an opportunity, Verse 7, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions, and you can read what happens next. But the only people who knew what Jesus had actually done were the servants and the disciples and Mary. Verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana uh, in Galilee was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory or did something miraculous, and his disciples Believed in him from that point. They're like, holy crap, that was amazing. Maybe he is the Messiah, right? So Jesus allowed this distraction to become an opportunity to do good. And when Jesus allowed himself to be distracted to do above and beyond what anybody should have ever been asked to do, even what was even on Jesus's, Jesus, like if he hadn't have done this, there would have been no shade on Jesus. Nobody would have expected him to fix that other person's problem but because he allowed himself to be delayed or distracted to do this he got to see God do something that wouldn't have happened had he not done that so the point of the story is that Jesus was willing to be interrupted he allowed his schedule to be changed and that's what I have a problem with I don't like my calendar changed when we behave in a way that people don't expect like going out of the way like driving them to the McDonald's and pulling over and letting them throw up two times and waiting with them until their mother-in-law shows up. When we behave in a way that people don't expect, we get to see God do things through us that we didn't expect. Being radically generous means that you're willing to be inconvenienced. Generosity is doing more than what's expected. And I'm going to add this, that the more often you feel God prompting you to be generous and to go out of your way to do radically generous things, the more likely you are to see God do amazing things in and through your life. And then the more often you do those things, I think the more often God's Holy Spirit comes back to you because he knows he's going to get a yes from you. It's a snowball. There's going to be an opportunity for you to do something good, but it's going to cost you whatever you had planned. And for that reason, we don't. Am I right? We avoid certain people that we know are going to want to, t oh my word. You ever been, you ever, has anybody here ever avoided to anybody? Raise your hand. <laughs> All right. Number two, we become generous when we learn to give more than what was necessary. There's another story in the life of Jesus that involves this girl. It's Lazarus' little sister. It's his baby sister, Mary. This story's in John chapter 12. Six days before Passover celebration began, uh, this is actually the Saturday night before uh, Jesus' crucifixion. So this is the night before he rides into Jerusalem on the donkey for Palm Sunday. Uh, that's when this is. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrives in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man that had been raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served, that's his sister, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, that was his other sister, she got Lazarus, and then you got his two younger sisters, you got Martha, the middle kid, she's always angsty, as middle kids often are, 
Don't hate, right? It's true, a little bit, a little bit. And you got Martha, who's the baby, right? And she's probably spoiled, as babies are. Like, that's a little bit. Some of you guys are like, yep, that's you. That's you. Uh, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. Now, pause for a second. We read right over that. A 12-ounce jar. What else is 12 ounces? A can of, somebody said beer. I was thinking can of soda. Sure, beer. Right? But let's stick with something that everybody here can drink. We'll say a can of Coke. She's got a can of Coke of perfume. That's a lot of perfume. Like, I don't have that much perfume. Like, my perfume, my perfume. My, like, Jacar Noir. Anybody remember Jacar Noir? Yeah, baby. Man, we smell good. We smell sexy with that Jacar Noir. If you were raised in the, if you were a teenager in the 80s, it was polo. You put your finger, you take off the gold cap, put your finger over it, you go like this. You're like, ha, ha, woo. Right? Listen to some Def Leppard and hope she dances close. Sorry, that was a weird and very specific reference. <laughs> then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, which was imported, by the way, from India. Spike nerd wasn't made there in Judea, so that's why it was so expensive. Uh, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said, That perfume is worth a year's wages. Excuse me? Like, I don't think I have any cologne that you couldn't buy at Dollar General. I'm going to be honest with you. Because for a dude, long as you can't smell my pits, it's good enough. Right? Now, some of you ladies, you got expensive perfume. You got like an ounce that costs 35 bucks. Anybody got perfume like that, ladies? Anybody got perfume that costs more than 35 bucks? All right. Anybody here got perfume that costs $24,000? Because if you make 12, if your minimum wage is $12 an hour and you have a full-time minimum wage job, you're making $24,000 a year. Actually closer to $25,000 a year. Can you imagine? So most of you probably, if you're a grown adult, you probably make more than minimum wage. So what's your annual salary? $50,000, $100,000, $350,000, $500,000? I don't know. Somebody probably in here makes a million dollars a year. All right. Can you imagine spending... A million dollars on one bottle of perfume. Or $55,000 on one bottle of perfume. Or two hundred, like whatever you make. Can you imagine spending a whole year's wages on one bottle of perfume? <laughs> Holy cow! And then pouring the whole thing out. Like if you want to make the room smell, all you got to do is take the top off of the polo for about 20 minutes. And this whole room's going to reek. Right? Like, truthfully, pouring the whole thing out, that is a little bit of a waste. Like, I feel like Judas has got a point. You know what I mean? And first of all, you wouldn't have poured out the whole thing. You would have just, like, did Jesus ask her to do this, yes or no? No. If she had kept, by the way, this was part of her dowry. Her dad would have saved up for this and given this to her as a dowry. She would have opened this up on her honeymoon night, which would have been like a symbol. She would have cracked the seal, opened it up. And then like the value of this is the value of what I'm giving to you. And then on the anniversaries and special occasions, she would open it up again. And so the husband would come home and he would smell the spike nard and go, it's going to be a good day is what he would be thinking. Right, And so from then on, that's what that symbol, and that would last a long time. And truthfully, uh, if she's single uh, and she doesn't want to get married, this is like her plan B. She can sell this and buy a home. She can, or put down on a home. She can sell this and start a business. There's a lot you can do if you had a whole year's wages in a lump sum cash 
you know, wad. And that's essentially what she has. And Jesus would have never asked her for this. There's nothing in the Bible that said she had to give it. But this came from where? Did this come from the commands of the Bible? This came from where? Her heart. And it was so over the top. And that's what made it radically generous. And when Judas points this out, Jesus responds in verse 7 and he says, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There's going to be tons of chances to help poor people, but she's got this one moment because he knew six days from now I'm going to be crucified. Then after that, I'm not going to let her, she couldn't touch me, right? Like that's, like there's six more, there's a moment in time. There's an opportunity right now to do something significant, and she jumped on the chance. I'm not going to rob her of this opportunity. And, and here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have God's Holy Spirit in you, and there are going to be times in your life where God's Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to do something with your money that is going to scare you just a little bit or maybe even a lot. And that prompting didn't come from you because there's nothing in you that wants to do this. So when that thought pops into your head, guess where that came from? God's Holy Spirit. And your willingness to hop onto that, to step into that moment, creates an opportunity for God's Holy Spirit to do something He would never have done had you not done what you just did. And then you get a new God story. You get the opportunity not just to play a part of the game, but to change the game. The Doug Flutie Hail Mary. Like you just, right? It's the, it's the Steph Curry 2-1. He's barely over the half court. Pulls it up, walks away, not even looking. And he wins the game. Like that's, that's those opportunities. Like you get to, like it's not just get a first down. Dang it, you got to put us within scoring range. Right? Football reference. I lost you on some of that. My point is, there's moments that come around. And when the opportunity gets here, it's going to cost you time or money. And you're going to have to decide whether or not you love God more than both. In order to see God do something incredibly cool that you would have never seen without it. There are moments that never come back. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal because wherever your treasure is, that's, the, that's where there the desires of your heart will be also. So, Wherever your treasure is, that's where your what goes? Your heart. Your money doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your money. You don't care about Priceline stock. You know why you don't care about Priceline stock? Because you don't lose $3,000 in stupid Priceline stock. I never cared about Priceline stock until 2001 when I bought $3,000 worth and remember, I couldn't afford insurance back then, so $3,000 in 2001, dang it, that was like, ha, 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 $3,000 of $50 Priceline? That's 60 shares of Priceline at 50 bucks. It gets to 108. My dad said, sell it. 
you've already doubled your money, and I said, I'll sell it when I get to 110. It dropped down to 95. And then I said, I'll sell it when it gets back up to 100. And then it dropped down to 80-something. I said, I'll sell it when it gets back up to 90. And I chased that stupid thing all the way down to $30 before I sold for a loss of 40% of my stupid money, which is the reason why I freaking hate Priceline. Since then, I have never bought a ticket on Priceline. If I could save $50 on Priceline or over Expedia, I'm going to pay an extra $50. I'm not giving Priceline another dollar. I said this last night, and somebody walked up to me and showed me the stock price of Priceline, and it's now $2,300. I hate Priceline! Why? Why was I so passionate? Because my money went there, dang it. Like, you, you give to something, now all of a sudden you want to know all about it. Right? Because it's true. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure ain't, neither is your heart. Are you with me? It controls. It, it, ooh, it's the only thing preachers preach about that make church people mad. Why? Because we love it so much. That's why. Now, Grace Church, we don't have a problem talking about this. My salary is fixed. By a board of trustees that you guys ratify every single year in, in January. If you gave a million dollars today, uh, I would go on a fantastic vacation. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. It wouldn't affect my income at all. If you gave a million dollars right now, it would not affect my income by even a dollar. What it would do is pay for five more churches to get planted, though. That's what it would do. Dang it, you'd help us, you'd, you'd, you'd help us score five touchdowns. We'd score five touchdowns if you did that. You see what I'm saying? Like there's opportunities that come along. And we rationalize why we don't give our time. And we rationalize why we don't give our money. And truthfully, we still call ourselves generous. When all we've done is just squeeze God into a budget, we can manage. And kept everybody from interfering with our agenda. Because we love ourselves a whole lot of ourselves. I struggle with this too. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to be generous with your time, but to be generous with your time, you've got to be willing to start becoming available to people. And some of us have a very difficult time with that. You don't want to make yourself available to people, and that's going to keep you from being radically generous. So I'm going to give you a couple of tips. One is don't avoid broken people. There are people that come that you hide from. Me too. Like there's probably people in our church. There is, but I'm saying probably in case you're that person and you're in here, I don't want you to guess that it's you. But there are people who are time sucks. Am I right? And the thing is, I, I can't, now, now I, I don't even know what to do with this now. I know I've got to make myself available to you. But dear Lord in heaven, that's, that's hard, isn't it? It's really, really hard. And don't be the first one to leave. Don't be the first one to leave today. Don't be the first one to leave a party. Don't be the first one to leave a graduation. Don't be the first one to leave. Because when the crowd starts thinning out, that's when people start opening up. And that's when you're going to have the opportunity to do something nobody would have even asked you to do. Before you can be generous with your money, you have to decide if you love God more than your money. And if you say that you do, I'm going to give you a tip. Start giving to God first. Some of you say, well, I, I can't afford to give to God. 
but you are giving to Hulu, you are paying for your Amazon Prime, you are paying Verizon or AT&T or your T-Mobile bill every month, and you are paying for your mortgage, and you are paying for your car payment, and you are paying for your power, your electric. You do have money. It's just everything else is more important to you than God. And if there's anything left over after everything, including Duncan, God might get a little bit of something-something at the end. And I wonder if it offends him that he only gets leftovers. I wonder if that bothers God. So my tip is, decide now what you're going to give to God first. Just decide, this is what I'm going to give to God. Now, we don't give to support a church. We give to God through a church, right? So you don't, it's not about, it's about God is what it is. What, what place does God have? Then do that. If you're doing that, my second tip would be to make it a percentage-based. That way, as God increases your income and blesses you, you increase along with it in your response to his blessings. If you're already giving out a percentage, get that up to 10% because that's the starting point for God's people. And grace always calls us to more. And when you get to what God has called every decent Christian to do, then you get to be radically generous on top of that. This isn't an oppressive thing I'm giving you. These are tips if you want to become the kind of person that prioritizes God in every area of your life. But I can't make these decisions for you. They're yours to make. So let's pray. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would show us the people we need to make time for. God, I can think of a few faces right now. God, help us to be present in the moment. Help us to look for a way to go out of our way to do something good that nobody would expect. God, sometimes it's people that we know that, that annoy us. Other times, God, it's strangers. Sometimes it's a coworker that we could either give them a website that's going to save them a couple of hours or we can actually begin helping them, tag-teaming with them on their project and save them a couple of days. That might make our projects take longer. And God, we're constantly making these value decisions in our heart, but often we lean heavily towards what conveniences us most. Help us to be aware of that and to be sensitive to when your Holy Spirit is asking us to make a different decision. God, with the money that you put into our hands on a weekly or biweekly basis, there are things that we are responsible to take care of. The question that we need to ask is not how much do I have to give, that's not generous, but how much do I have to keep in order to provide? And God, help me to create margin in my finances so that not only I can be obedient to what the scriptures teach, but I can also be radically generous when your Holy Spirit prompts God, I want you to trust me with money. I want you to recognize that I'm a faucet through which you send and I send. God, bless us, but only bless us to the degree that we're willing to be a blessing to others. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen.